Well, it's good to be back. Hannah and I were in Colorado last week and uh, home for a friend's wedding, a, a guy that I've known since the eighth grade, which is a long time ago. It's getting me longer. I'm turning 30 this year, which is kind of scary, although I know there are a lot of you that are turning 30 this year uh, or have already turned 30. And there are others of you that turned 30 long ago, so <laughs> I feel good. Anyway, it is... Uh, <laughs> Last week, Troy, our student ministries pastor, talked about the idea of being available and being aware to experience God's presence in the ordinary, in the everyday. I want to talk similarly about this idea of being available and of being aware, but I want to talk about it availability in a different context. And uh, in doing that, I, I want to begin by telling two stories, and hopefully that will set up our, our conversation about being available in a different context. About six months ago, I was working in my office here, and um, just like any normal day, and there was a, a gentleman that came into the, to the office. And uh, every now and again, you, you get some drop-bys who are needing help with something. And um, this, this guy was uh, kind of a short guy, bald, and he was really bundled up. He had his, kind of his thick Carhartt pants on and a big woolly jacket. It, was, it began to be evident to me that he was uh, probably homeless. He was shivering. He began to talk to me and, and tell me that he was lost. He didn't know where he was. Physically, didn't know where he was at. He had driven in the night before with some friends. Uh, I don't know if on a train or if they had a car or what happened. But uh, he, had, he had ridden in with some friends and they had partied the night before uh, pretty hard, and he apparently went to sleep in a, in a warehouse somewhere, an abandoned warehouse. And when he, when he woke up the next morning, all his friends, well, all the people that he was with were gone. And so he had been wandering around. He didn't know where he was at. He didn't know what city, literally, he was in. And he wandered uh, into the church, and he was trying to find the nearest train station. And I pointed him in the direction of the uh, old Merlot stop down there on the Max line that'll take him into downtown Portland. He was, he was shivering, and, and he, he kept talking about how he was in a bad spot in life, and he wasn't real sure what to do with it. He knew it wasn't a good thing, and, and that he just, man, he needed to stop doing what he, whatever he was doing because it was getting him in a bad spot. And you, you, you may have experienced this. I hope I'm not the only one. I'm sure I'm not. Sometimes when you're in the middle of a task, you're in the middle of your busy day, and somebody wants to talk to you, and you are more interested in just getting the conversation over with, because you want to get on with your task or your day or whatever you're doing. I don't know if it was that in me or if I was just scared to be talking to a homeless person. I come from the Midwest, and, and the cities that I lived in there were, were pretty affluent. They weren't, uh, they weren't real run down. You see homeless people, but there wasn't a lot of interaction with them. So I don't know if part of me was just scared. I didn't know what to do. Or part of me was just kind of determined to get back to my work. And so I just sent him on his way. And in the weeks to come, and in the months to come, I began to feel very serious regret for what had happened. The regret I felt was, was mostly, I wish I would have done something more. Uh, here was a guy who was shivering, and I, I could have invited him in, let him warm up. I could have given him some coffee or some hot tea. I could have talked to him. He seemed like he wanted to talk a bit about his life, and I just wasn't available to him. Felt 
really bad for, for, for weeks and months to come. And I, was, I prayed about it, asking God for forgiveness, because I just don't feel I did what I was called to do. It was a real learning experience for me. Well, this Thursday morning, uh, we got back from Colorado on Tuesday afternoon. I came back to work on Wednesday. Worked all day Wednesday, went home, got up the next morning, dropped my wife off at work, came to work Thursday morning. And as I pulled in the drive here, I noticed there was a gentleman kind of laying underneath our office window. I saw he had a bike there and he kind of had some stuff laid out. And I I figured pretty quickly that it was was a homeless guy that I'd actually seen over in the uh, the the jack-in-the-box, the old abandoned jack-in-the-box parking lot. I'd seen him there before. And I pulled in and... You know, I, I was just starting to think, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I got out and I got my stuff out of my car and I began walking up to the building. And he uh, began gathering his things as well as I began to walk over, probably thinking that I was, I was going to tell him, oh, it's time, time to move on or, or whatever. I walked up to unlock the door and I looked over at him and I said, good morning. How are you doing? And he said, hello. I said, can I get you some coffee or some hot tea? Because I was... That's what I came up with last time. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, yeah, some coffee would be nice. And so I walked in. I'll say, I'll see, I'll see what I've got. And I walked in, and I came into the kitchen, and I thought, ugh, I'm going to have to brew a whole pot of coffee. That's going to take forever. He's going to be gone. So I had coffee in my mug from home, and so I put, put it into a little to-go cup. Thanks, hospitality people, for having that. I hadn't drank it yet. <laughs> It was fresh. It was Starbucks. So, <laughs> so I, I walked out and I, I handed him. I heated it up in the microwave too to get it hot. <laughs> I walked out and I gave it to him, and he said thanks, and he took a drink. And uh, he said, "Well, are you one of the pastors, uh, or, or are you the pastor of the church here?" I said, "Well, I'm one of the pastors here at the church." I said, uh, "Kurt is our senior pastor, and he's on a break right now." He, he pretty much instantly launched into his story. Not long after he began to tell his story, he began to weep. And he talked about how he was in a really hard place and uh, didn't necessarily know how he got there, didn't know what to do, didn't have a place to go. He confessed that he was uh, strung out on heroin, that he was a heroin addict, that he had been in a treatment facility in Hillsborough and uh, had left... The doctors had recommended that he stay, but he ended up leaving. And he said he couldn't go back for another couple of months. It was, it was interesting, to say the least, that this guy launched into his story, and I began to uh, really have a sense of compassion for him as I, as I listened to him. He, he began to say, well, you know, I, I believe in God, and, I, and this is, I didn't prompt anything in this. He just kept talking and talking. He said, I believe in God. And I used to walk with the Lord, but, you know, now I'm not walking with the Lord. And he said, uh, I'm really scared that Hebrews 6 applies to me, assuming that I had the Bible memorized. <laughs> not wanting to tear down my reputation. <laughs> I said, well, you've got to phrase things in clever ways for people. In what way are you scared that <laughs> Hebrews 6 applies to you? And he quoted it to me off the top of his head. And it says this. It says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared 
the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. He bent down and got into his bag and was mumbling something about wasting enough of my time. He grabbed a hat out, and I was just thinking the whole time, what, what do you say to that? So I tried to ramble off some mumbo-jumbo about God's love, and I don't think he has a concern. I don't, I don't honestly know what I said. I don't have an answer for that fully. He, uh, he put his hat on, made another comment about the stupid buttons on his hat, shook my hand. His name is Gerald, and he, he wrote off. I want to read some scripture to you um, before we go any further. So uh, hear these words out of the scriptures. These are all things you've probably heard, and they're taken out of the message paraphrase, so uh, hopefully they're, they're spoken in a fresh way. This is, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. No, he came to help to put the world right again. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantage of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above and beyond anyone or anything, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and, God, and call out in praise that he is the master of all, to the glorious honor of God the Father. It's pretty obvious, I think, as we look at the scriptures, as we look at the accounts of Jesus' life, that he put a priority on who he was going to be around, on the things he was going to spend his time with. And it's pretty obvious that he hung out with and cared for people who were lost, people who were broken, people who were unloved, people who were the fringe, the outcasts of society. I'm not even going to get into quoting a bunch of scripture about that because I think it is so obvious that if you were to look at the scriptures, you would find out for yourself that that's true. And I think equally as obvious is that Christ calls us to, uh, to mirror his life, to imitate his life in doing these same types of things. Those are the, that's going to be the framework for our conversation. Those are the things that I think are very obvious in the scriptures, and so I don't want to go any further into them. But I want to take two things from my conversation with Gerald, and I, I'd like to expand on those, and I'd like to tell you what I think that Jesus, how Jesus met me in that conversation and what he has for his church. So, two things that God is calling his church, us, to involve ourselves with. Number one is that there are tangible 
physical things that we can do in serving people. Whether that means we're giving someone a cup of coffee or a hot meal, pointing them in the direction of help programs that are already in place, whether we're paying electricity or phone bills, there's a piece of the gospel that has nothing to do with words, and it has everything to do with actions. It's as St. Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. We are called to be a physical presence in the world, the physical presence of Christ. Our actions are to be a metaphor or a picture of the love of Christ to a hurting world. A world, by the way, that will largely reject your words because they've heard them time and time again separate from any real care or concern. In the book of James in the New Testament, it says this, Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this life of faith if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, You come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled in the Holy Spirit. And you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God actions is outrageous nonsense? This is the Bible, by the way. And before that, it says, Anyone who sets himself up as as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. The kind of religion, this kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that is acceptable and that is pleasing before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight. We, the church, are the body of Christ. We are his representation on planet Earth. Sounds a little sci-fi, I know. But it's Christ that calls us to be his physical presence in the world meeting the physical needs of the world. There are tangible, easy things that we can do in serving people who are hurting, who are broken, who have lost their way. But it's not just meeting the physical needs that we're called to. There is need to bear witness. There is need to speak words of grace and of truth, to carry on the message of a loving God who seeks out lost and hurting people. St. Ambrose, another Catholic saintly guy, says this, Not only for every idle word must we give an account, but for every idle silence. Think about that. Not only for every idle word must we give an account, but for every idle silence. There is a time to act and there is a time to speak. And that's the second thing that I take from my conversation with Gerald is there's a lot of people that have a distorted or a broken view of the image of God. Gerald bought into one of the biggest lies out there I think. And that's the thought that God's love is conditional. That it's dependent upon our life circumstances. And Gerald's fear is that because he has struggled in life, because he has fallen down, because he's oppressed, because he has struggled, because he continues to be in bondage to drug addiction, that God does not welcome him. That God's love does not apply to him. But there's nothing further from the truth. The God revealed in Scripture is one that is slow to anger, one that is full of compassion. In illustrating the grand scheme and size of God's mercies, he compares it to the sun, the consistent rising of the sun. He says, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. 
They're not conditional. The sun isn't going to decide not to rise tomorrow if you struggle today. The sun will rise consistently. God's mercy, God's love for you is consistent more than the rising of the sun. In Romans 8, Paul says this. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a guy, coming from a guy who wrote huge portions of the New Testament part of the Bible. He had persecuted the church, and then he found himself as a proponent of the church, and he says, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love that is revealed in Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity as God's people to gently embrace people's broken view, people's broken image of God, of Christ. And as we seek to understand them, not as we tell them they're wrong, not as we jump at the first opportunity to say, no, 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 you're not right, but as we have the opportunity to seek understanding of why they think the way they think, what circumstances led them to think the way they think, we have the opportunity then to share our story and our experience of who Christ has been to us. We have the opportunity to be God's presence in the world. We have the opportunity to heal the image of God in the world through our experiencing of Him. And encouraging His followers... Uh, To go out into the world, Jesus said this in Matthew. And this is again a paraphrase of the message. It says, Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Instead, go to the lost, the confused people, right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Or otherwise stated, freely you've received, now freely give. I think it's easy to think of the word missions or missional calling us far away to distant lands, to China or to uh, Mississippi even, uh, you know, to places that are outside our sphere of influence. And I sometimes think, not always, but I sometimes think that's the easier thing to go on a missions trip to, uh, to Russia or uh, to Mexico where you don't know anybody and it's easy to get caught up in the extreme poverty. And, uh, and those are great things. I, I think we need to be doing those things more. But I think the harder thing is to come and to live in your city, to live in your neighborhood, to live amongst the people that you have influence over and to see that as an opportunity for mission, to see that as an opportunity to heal the sick, to uh, bring back the lost. The beauty of the gospel is that God came to us, right? He didn't wait for us to go to Him. In Jesus, God took on human form and He dwelled among the lost and the broken of His day. He dwelled among the hurting and the confused. He didn't come to tell everybody how bad they were and how disappointed God was with them. No, He came and He served humbly. He healed, He cared for, He talked with, and He befriended Mark 10, uh, verses 44 through 45, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done, Jesus. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life 
in exchange for many who are held hostage. Please don't make the mistake of thinking I'm just talking about homeless people or people in extreme poverty, where there is definitely a need there. The fact is, is that, again, people all around us, in our workplaces, in our families, in our circle of friends, are hurting people. People everywhere have a distorted, broken image of the love of God. People everywhere need a helping hand. And these are opportunities, uh, no matter where we're at, to, to be the presence of Christ to the world. So, this is not a new commandment, but I'm going to give it to you again. New in this day. And I speak it with the authority of the Scriptures. We must go out. We must be available to be the presence of Christ in a hurting and broken world. If we are not willing to allow Christ to work through us, if we are not willing to bother ourselves with God's mission to the world in our neighborhood, then I don't think we have a right to bear the name of Christ as His church. As Christians, we are to be imitating the life of Jesus. And so much of His life was dedicated to, uh, to helping people, the low, the weak, the lost, the shamed, the fringe. I want, to, uh, I want to invite you into just a little kind of imaginative reflection here. So I want to ask you to close your eyes, begin to think uh, the beginning of your Monday morning, or let's not make it too hard, let's go to Tuesday. <laughs> think about your Tuesday morning and getting up out of bed and getting ready for your day. Think about getting in your car and pulling out of your driveway Think about the route that you take on your way to work. Or if you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you think about an errand that you normally run on a regular basis. Something that's ordinary for you. And I want you to begin to see people. Maybe it's a person on the side of the road who is uh, asking for food or donations. Maybe it's a woman sleeping in front of a building, in the doorway of a building. Maybe it's somebody who's broken down on the side of the road and their car's not working. And as you arrive to your work or your destination, see the people that you work with. See the people in the grocery line at the store. Try to see what they need beyond what they ask for. And hear this parable that Jesus told his followers. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty, and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take His place on His glorious throne. And then all the nations will be arranged before Him, and He will sort out the people, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to His right and goats to His left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Enter, you who are blessed by My Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or come to you? Then the king will say, 
I'm telling you the truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me.